We'll be continuing on this morning in 1 Peter chapter 1. And our text for this morning is verses 10 through 12. But for opening, I would like to read the verses 1 through 12. So in 1 Peter chapter 1, if you open your Bibles, and we'll start in verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with His blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through the faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So we've seen in this epistle, Peter is addressing the elect exiles of the dispersion. They were dispersed abroad where they were facing hostility and persecution. They are aliens in a foreign land. Their residence is not in this world. We saw earlier on in this text how he's pointing to their earthly identity, their physical identity being elect exiles dispersed. But he reminds them in verses 3 to 5 that this world is not their home. It is not their eternal residence, but they have an eternal hope. They have a spiritual identity. They are elect exiles. They are um, saved by God through the work of Jesus Christ, they have a living hope, an inheritance. These truths found in verses 3 to 5 outline our eternal hope. Though now, as shown in verse 6, he says we have been grieved by trials of various trials of various kinds. And as we've noted previously, the Christian has the expectation of suffering because we are exiles in this land. Because Christ suffered, He left us an example in this world. We too will suffer. We too will face persecutions. And as Christians, we know that we are sinners and that sin has corrupted our desires, our thoughts, our actions. Sin has infected all of creation. And therefore, we can and should fully expect trials 
as we navigate this earthly dwelling in our mortal bodies. And in response to this expectation, the Apostle Peter directs us to focus on our salvation. And the title of my message this morning is Our Glorious Salvation. Because through these trials, through these temporary sufferings, through these griefs, through these persecutions, the hardships that the Christians are facing, that the church is facing, the Apostle Peter is pointing them towards their eternal hope. He's pointing them in the direction of their salvation. Look at this. As we navigate these trials, as we move through this earth, look at this salvation. He's pointing their focus to that and getting them to look at that to help them navigate through the times that they're facing, the hardships that they're enduring. So again, he directs us to focus on our salvation, to praise God for our salvation. This is the most glorious theme in all of Scripture. And this is that to which Christians must look in the disappointments of life and the trials of life. We know life is full of trials, disappointments, griefs, and trouble. We all experience these things. There are troubles that come to all people, but then there are also troubles that specifically come to Christians from the world around us. I want to ask you to keep a finger at First Peter, but let's turn to the Gospel of John. And we'll take a look at John chapter 15. So in John chapter 15, Jesus is speaking, he's saying in verse 18, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have seen, you have been with me from the beginning. The world hated Christ because of the witness he bore against them, against their sin. Likewise, we as Christians filled with the Holy Spirit, we as a church, also bear witness against sin and evil, the desires of the flesh, and therefore the world hates us. If we just stay in the Gospel of John, jump to chapter 3 for a minute. Chapter 3, starting in verse 16. Very popular portion of Scripture, but we'll read to 21. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, 
that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light. Their works were evil, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So this portion of Scripture illustrates this for us well. The church is the light in a dark world. Light exposes darkness. It exposes sin. Picture with me for a moment this room in complete darkness where you can't see anything. And all your sins, your thoughts, your deeds, even the intents of your hearts were painted on the walls. These sins are hidden in darkness and as one who still revels in our sins as unbelievers, you want nothing more than to keep these sins hidden. Now picture someone coming up the stairway around the corner carrying a big spotlight, revealing all that is written on these walls. We get the picture. Apart from a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit granting us repentance, we don't want others to see what is written on these walls. We don't want others to see the intents of our hearts, the thoughts we've had, the things we've done or maybe we didn't do that we should have done. We get the picture. Apart from a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit granting us repentance, we don't want others to see what is written about us on these walls. But through repentance and faith, these walls have been washed clean by the atoning work of Jesus Christ. We know that our sins were there, but the Apostle Paul says, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And in light of this, we too rejoice, because like Paul further states in Romans, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. So we have our sins washed away. But for the world, their sins are not washed away. That is why they don't like the witness of the church. That is why the persecution is often so real in so many places because the church exposes the light that the church is that we're called to be exposes sin and darkness in this world. But we also the light gives a hope for those who are looking for the, those that God is drawing. The light is a hope. So we look to the salvation of our souls. And Peter hones in on this theme early in his epistle. So if you're back with me in 1 Peter chapter 1, we'll see the focus that Peter has early on in this book. And if we start looking at verse 3, he says we have a living hope. We have a living hope. In verse 4, we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Verse 5, a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. 
And in this we rejoice. This being the salvation, being this hope, this inheritance. Verse 9, the salvation of your souls. Verse 10, concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. Verse 11, he speaks of the subsequent glories. And in verse 12, he mentions the good news and then points back again to all these things from heaven, these things into which angels long to look. So we see Peter has focused in on this idea of salvation, this idea of our eternal hope early on in this epistle. 1 Peter 1.9, he says, it is the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. So always keep your eyes on that glorious future salvation when we are finally and fully rescued from our human failure, our sin, Satan, death, hell, and we enter into the presence of our Lord with everlasting glory and joy. We need salvation from God, from God's wrath, from his judgment, his vengeance, his execution. We need salvation. We cannot save ourselves. Romans chapter 3, verse 20 says, For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. It is not by our own works. We need God to save us. We cannot save ourselves. But here is the good news, continuing in Romans chapter 3, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God is the one who justifies. God is the one who saves. God is by His very nature a saving God. One chapter fur- or two chapters further in Romans chapter 5, verse 6. For while we were still weak, At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. There are many things in this world from which people are saved. We're saved from death, saved from illness. But when the word salvation is used, it is almost always connected first and foremost with the Christian gospel. As John MacArthur says, the greatest word in the Christian vocabulary, salvation. It is where we go to find our assurance, our hope, our joy, 
our confidence, our freedom from anxiety, no matter what is going on, the confidence that we have been rescued eternally from sin and its consequences, end quote. This is what Peter is telling us in this letter. Christians can rejoice in their inheritance regardless of whatever suffering they may face in this world. And as we see, beginning even in verse 13 of chapter 1 of 1 Peter, he says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So even there, after our text ends, this section in, in, in verse 12, by verse 13, he's calling us to behavior that is consistent with the salvation that we have. Be- behavior based on the fact that we are saved. This is now how to live in spite of your sufferings, in spite of your griefs, in spite of your trials, in spite of these persecutions. This is how we live. But we begin by looking at the glories of our salvation. He calls us to look at our salvation first and foremost in the midst of our troubles in the midst of our persecutions and in the midst of suffering, in the midst of these griefs, he is saying in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father. Blessed be the God and Father. He's calling us to remember, to praise God, bless God, honor God, exalt God, obey God, and be thankful to God for the salvation of our souls. This is the starting point for the believers, to be thankful for the salvation of our souls. God is the author of our salvation. He has for all eternity past determined to save sinners. And he made the way through Jesus Christ. There is no other way to salvation but through the name of Jesus Christ. God ordained that anyone who believes in Christ can be saved. We see this theme of God's salvation throughout the scriptures. It's not only a New Testament theme, but it is in the Old Testament as well. Psalm chapter 3 speaks, salvation belongs to the Lord. Psalm 37, the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. Isaiah 43, I, I am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. Isaiah 45, there is no other God beside me, a righteous God and a Savior. Jeremiah 3, truly in the Lord our God is the salvation of Israel. Hosea 13, but I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. You know no God but me, and besides me there is no Savior. Psalm 96, sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day. So all the way back in the Old Testament, people were proclaiming day to day the good news of his salvation. It has always been foremost in the hearts and minds of God's people to praise Him for our salvation. We too should celebrate this salvation daily. We should remind ourselves day to day of His glorious work that God has brought to fruition through Christ. Brothers and sisters, remind yourselves of the gospel. Preach the gospel to yourselves. Declare it to yourselves. Meditate on this salvation daily. It is because of this work of God that Christians can rejoice. Because we live in this privileged time, as we'll see as we enter into the text, and have experienced this great salvation. Juan Sanchez, in his commentary on 1 Peter, writes, Though the Christians scattered throughout Asia Minor are sojourners and exiles, 
devoid of any earthly home and status, they are privileged to live during a time when the promised Messiah has been revealed. And they are privileged to enjoy a salvation that the angels can only marvel over but never experience. And that is what our text in verses 10 through 12 addresses. The glory of God in the salvation of sinners. It's what occupied the prophets, the Holy Spirit, the apostles, and the angels. So as we go into verses 10 through 12, I've broken it up into four points. Point number one, grace destined for believers. Grace destined for believers. Verse 10 says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. So this salvation, again restating the salvation of our soul that was mentioned in verse 9. This salvation, starting in verse 10, is also forming the antecedent for the grace that was to be yours. The grace that was to be yours later in the same verse. This grace is an umbrella term that Peter uses and it speaks of our living hope. It speaks of our inheritance and it speaks ultimately of our final salvation. So he's putting this all under this umbrella as they prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. They searched and inquired carefully. So when we speak of our salvation, we view it, in a sense, as a trichotomy. Three parts. Justification, we've been saved from the penalty of sin. Sanctification, we are being saved from the power of sin. And ultimately, our glorification, where we have been saved from the presence of sin. And all three of these doctrines formulate the whole of salvation. The Bible speaks of these three doctrines synonymously with salvation. So again, it is imperative that we recognize God's work in all of these tenses, past, present, and future. It is all of His grace. The whole work of salvation. And this is the grace that the Old Testament prophesied. <coughs> Excuse me. Old Testament prophets prophesied about. And as verse 10 says, they searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person and time. The prophets studied their own writings in order to know more about this promised salvation. They knew about the grace they were prophesying, but they did not know about the details of which they were speaking. This mystery was not yet fully revealed in their time. They lived during a time before the Messiah was revealed. One commentary says, pointing towards him, pointing forwards to him and what he would achieve. Peter's readers now live in a time when those promises of the coming Messiah are fulfilled. The prophets longed for the time that these things would be fulfilled as they searched and inquired carefully. The words translated as searched and inquired here, they speak of a diligent and intense search. It wasn't just some fleeting thought that occasionally crossed the mind of the prophets as they spoke or as they wrote. It preoccupied them. They knew of the fall of man and the effects of sin in humanity in the world. They knew God had promised a Redeemer, 
as early as Genesis chapter 3. And they desired to know the person and time that the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating. They had this longing to know what these things were, the person and time where this grace would come to fruition. And when God put in their mouths the promises of future redemption, they looked into it. They studied it. And they searched diligently. They searched carefully and made inquiries. MacArthur notes again, though they believed and were personally saved from their sin by faith through the sacrifice that God would provide in Christ, they could not fully understand what was involved in the life and death of Jesus. They knew they needed salvation and that it had to be by grace. They knew that Abraham was justified by faith and that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Grace did not begin in the New Testament, but it permeates all of Scripture. And it is now fully revealed through Jesus Christ in the church age. We see uh, Peter writing in 2 Peter, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention. And also familiar passage, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom He also he created the world. So the true prophets of God, as we see again in verse 10, the prophets who prophesied, they knew they were speaking of or writing about the salvation. They knew they were writing about the coming Messiah that would provide salvation for God's people. And they knew it had to be by God's undeserved favor and blessing. God's mercy and forgiveness has always been on the basis of His salvation. Or as Charles Spurgeon says, all of grace. Point number two, we find in verse 11. Point number two, the prophet's inspiration. In verse 11, Peter writes, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. The Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit indwelled these prophets. The Holy Spirit inspired or enabled them to write about this glorious salvation that was to be consummated in a time yet to come. Peter tells us that the Holy Spirit inspired the prophets to predict the Messiah's coming salvation and set the elect exiles apart for conversion. They weren't just putting out their best guesses. They weren't just writing down something that they felt was necessary, but they were inspired. And Peter himself says in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 21, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So under this inspiration, the prophet's words were true and authoritative. It is the same spirit that inspired the Old Testament prophets 
as well as the New Testament apostles. Therefore, both have the same author, the Spirit of Christ, and both testify to the same story, the story of salvation, the story of redemption that is progressively revealed precept upon precept throughout the entirety of Scripture. It is the eternal plan of God. The prophet's inspiration is also shown in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Again, a very familiar passage. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So we see, again, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ in them, is what inspired the prophets when they wrote. They knew that he was getting, telling them to write these things, and it was pointing towards the future redemption, the person in time for which they were seeking and inquiring. And point three, also found in verse 11, the sufferings and glory of the Messiah. So the prophets were inquiring about the person or time. Again, denoting a diligent and intense search But what they did not know about the Messiah, according to verse 11, sorry, but what did they know about the Messiah? They didn't know the person or time, but according to verse 11, they knew of the sufferings of Christ and his subsequent glories. They knew of his suffering and death. Let's jump into the Old Testament for a few minutes. And starting in Psalm chapter 22. Psalm 22 and verse 14. And again, we're remembering, as Peter wrote, they knew of the sufferings of Christ and His subsequent glories. We're looking at the Old Testament to know, see what these prophets knew. And in verse 14 of Psalm 22, it says, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death, for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers evildoers encircles me and they have pierced my hands and feet i can count all my bones they stare and gloat over me they divide my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots isaiah 53 isaiah 53 starting in verse 7 He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before his shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as far as his, and as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit 
in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. The prophets knew these details. They knew of his suffering. They knew of his death. (laughs) And they knew of his subsequent glories. And they wrote of them. And they searched. Jesus himself said in John chapter 5, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. So the true prophets knew of the details of the Messiah's suffering and death and provision of salvation. They knew of this. They spoke of this. And they wrote of this. What they didn't know was the person or time. Verse 10 says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. They know God is a Savior. They know He will provide salvation through grace. They know there will be a Messiah who will come and be the Redeemer. But the question is, what person and what time? What person? So again, quoting commentary, Who was this? Who will this be? When will he come? This is all going on with the last prophet. This was still going on with the last prophet. And who is the very last prophet, of the Old Testament prophet? John the Baptist. And in chapter 11 of Matthew, he sends messengers to Jesus, and he says through the messengers, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Who is this person? That was always the first question. Who? Now you may say, well, didn't John know that? Well, he thought he did. But when things didn't go the way he expected them to go, the question came up again. And then even after the ministry of Jesus' death and resurrection, the disciples meet with Jesus, and what do they ask? Will you at this time restore the kingdom? So it has always been, who is this and when is this? And so they searched and they searched. End quote. This is why the doctrine of salvation should be so important to us. We have the privilege of having the full revelation. There were, they were great men of God. They were godly men, as Hebrews chapter 11 attests to. But we have the full revelation of the salvation. So we can rest all the more assuredly that as we suffer, as Christ suffered, we will also be glorified with him. That brings me to my fourth and final point in verse 12. 
serving believers through the proclamation of the gospel. Verse 12 reads, It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So the prophets did not always understand the things they taught. They were, in a sense, the mouthpieces of the Holy Spirit. The prophets were faithful to the promises they prophesied about, but they did not always understand. They had to wait and see. So when Peter says in verse 12, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, here he is speaking about the apostles who carried the gospel to Asia Minor under the authority of the Holy Spirit. The apostles had the privilege of proclaiming the fulfilled prophecies written by the Old Testament prophets. And we too live in this privileged time. We also experience a privileged salvation. Even in comparison to angels, we are privileged. Sanchez writes, The angels observed the unfolding of God's plan throughout history to save humanity through Jesus. They were there when God revealed his plan to the prophets, and they were there when the Father sent the Son to earth and revealed his saving plan for humanity through him. The angels understand enough about salvation to rejoice in heaven when one sinner on earth repents. Luke 15. But the angels will never experience God's salvation. Fallen angels are kept in bondage until judgment, Peter tells us in chapter 3, as well as Jude in chapter 1, verse 6. There is no salvation for angels. Angels can only look to God. Sorry, angels can only long to look at God's salvation of undeserving humanity. It is not something that they can experience. It is not something that they can partake in. They do not know what it is like to experience the relief, the joy, the liberation, and the wonder of being a saved sinner like we do. The angels delight to watch the ministry of Christ unfold. They delight in observing the proving of our faith in the progress of our sanctification. Our faith, which is more precious than gold, means much to God. And as we see in First Peter, He will put us in a fire to purify it. So in conclusion this morning, Peter is saying, like the Old Testament prophets, we too are to rejoice in trials and in suffering, even though we may not see or understand their end. Looking to the suffering and glorification of Christ has always been an encouragement to God's children. So even when we're grieved by various trials, we look to the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
we look to the salvation that God has graciously given to us. We look to our living hope, to our inheritance that is imperishable, incorruptible, undefiled. And we look to our salvation, ready to be revealed. And as children of God, let us always revel in His glorious salvation. Let's pray. God, we thank You again for Your Word. We thank You for all that You have revealed to us in Your Word. And God, that we can study Your Word and that we can look at Your Word. God, may this salvation that You have given us be foremost in our mind, Lord, as we endure trials, as we go through griefs and struggles, persecutions, temptations. Lord, let us focus on this salvation that You have so graciously and freely given to us. Let us look at our eternal inheritance. Let us look at our living hope through the resurrection of Your Son, Jesus Christ. And remember that as we suffer and as we toil, Christ too suffers, suffered and is glorified. And that we too will be partakers of that glory, as Paul says in Romans, provided we suffer with Him. Help us to keep Your Gospel, Your Word, Your promises at the forefront of our minds, God, as we endure these things and as we go about our days and as we go about our weeks. Help us to focus on You in this plan of salvation and help us to live with a behavior consistent with that salvation, God, as a church, as individuals, and help us to proclaim this salvation to the world dying around us, Lord. Help us to speak it boldly and graciously. And help us to point all glory to you, God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.